welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Brad. Great to be with you, Amy. Well, we are ready to jump into a new series. What did you have in mind, Brad? Well, a couple of months ago, we had a meeting for people who were interested in serving overseas longer term, and I felt like there were some really good discussions that came out of that time that I'd like to explore further in our podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed those discussions as well. It seems like they were mostly centered around some of the practicalities of serving overseas. That is the how, where, and when types of questions. Right. And we have talked a lot about the why of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth on this podcast. So I thought it might benefit our listeners to think about some of the practical issues involved in making this decision. Let's do it. So which of the many practicalities would you like to start with? Well, perhaps the most interesting discussions revolved around the idea of using your vocational skills and college major to serve overseas. Yes, we had several speakers at this meeting who spoke about the opportunities to leverage your college degree to serve overseas. Exactly. And we also shared some opportunities to go overseas in a support raising or fully funded capacity. While some of these positions involve teaching and using vocational skills to an extent, the funding source would be different than if you went overseas and worked for a multinational corporation, you know, GE, Boeing, something like that. So that would be this this other model would be more of a fully full-time ministry model, if you will. Yes, and I think that some people probably left wondering which is the best approach. Should people who want to reach the nations try to be what some would call tent makers and work for a company overseas? Or should they start raising support or look for a missions agency with a fully funded ministry opportunity? Right. And I think we would both agree that this is a both and rather than an either or type of situation. I think the Lord is going to use all types of people and methods of service overseas to bring the gospel to the unreached. But I think it would be helpful for us to look at some of the advantages and disadvantages of each approach. And we have to be careful because sometimes how these models of serving overseas look on paper may not be exactly how they work out practically once someone goes overseas. Good point. So maybe we could start by defining a little more of what we are talking about when we say tent making and other similar terms. Yes, there are several terms that are used to describe what we're talking about, and I'm guessing everyone uses them a little differently. For example, business as missions or BAM is a term that's been used frequently in the last 20 years. Recently, a lot of people started using the term business for transformation or B for T. And then, of course, you'll hear people use the term tent maker like we just did as well. And I'm assuming this refers to the fact that the Apostle Paul would sometimes work making tents to support himself financially as he went out to plant churches. We see this in Corinth where he helps Aquila and Priscilla in their tent making business. That's right. Now, as I said, I don't know if there are universally accepted definitions of these terms, but there are some common ways that they're used. For example, the term tent maker, uh, here's a definition I found that I think is, it fairly accurately describes how people use this term. A tent maker is a believer who intentionally takes a job with a company in another culture, is fully supported by that job, and strives to witness cross-culturally. So this would be someone who is working for, say, General Motors, and then intentionally takes a job with General Motors or some other car company overseas in order to be a cross-cultural witness. That's right. So they would be receiving a salary from General Motors, to use your example, and would be working a normal 40-hour-a-week job while trying to be a witness to their coworkers and neighbors outside of work. So how about business as missions and business for transformation? 
Yes, there's certainly some overlap between all three terms, but usually business as missions refers to working for a business that is intentionally created with the purpose of having kingdom impact cross-culturally. So someone might say, I'd like to have kingdom impact among this people group or in this city, so I'm going to start a business in that area, and others may join that business later with the same goal. So it sounds like there are actually two bottom lines with these businesses. They're trying to be a legitimate business with all the goals of profitability that other businesses have, and they're also trying to impact the community where that business is located. Exactly. Now, someone who is quote-unquote tent-making also has the goal of impacting their community for Christ, but the business they're working for doesn't necessarily have that goal. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like both of these options are striving for holistic integration between faith and work, and that businesses, missions, companies are trying to be located in strategic places and bless communities by providing jobs and modeling Christ-honoring work environments. Yes, I think these are important goals for these type of businesses. So how would this be different than from Business for Transformation or B4T? I'm not an expert on the business, though I think they have very similar goals with business as missions. The Business for Transformation movement is a bit newer and has a particular emphasis on using business to see social, economic, environmental, and spiritual transformation in communities. Most people I've talked to consider B4T as a movement under the larger umbrella of business as missions. So I think there's a fair amount of overlap. Fascinating. So we've talked a lot about business. What about doctors, uh, engineers, teachers, farmers, all of the other professions out there that could be leveraged for impact overseas? Yes, and these business movements are perhaps the most distinct expression of using vocational skills uh, overseas cross-culturally. But there are are certainly opportunities to do all of these kinds of things overseas. There's opportunities to be a doctor, teacher, you name it. Uh, And then, of course, you... You have people who would go as church planters or what we might call full-time ministry positions, though I know people in these other vocational areas are doing ministry as well. So, Brad, back to our original question then. If one is considering going overseas longer term, what are the pros and cons of each route we have described? Well, especially when we're talking about trying to take the gospel to unreached peoples and unreached areas, as you said, there are pros and cons. Let's start with the idea of tent making. This is certainly a wonderful way to use God-given vocational skills to have relational impact and influence among co-workers in an overseas context. It also provides a very clear and legitimate identity in that community and an economically sustainable way to be there since you're receiving a salary from your employer. Okay, so these are the positives of this route. What are some of the challenges? Well, obviously there are going to be limited slots and limited locations to do this kind of work. Most large companies, you know, either because of the government requires them to or because it's more economical, are going to try to hire local employees rather than bringing someone from the U.S. So you often have to have a certain level of experience or expertise to be sent to an overseas branch of the company. Large multinational companies also are only going to set up shop in certain contexts. You know, rural, less developed or less politically stable locations are probably not going to be very likely to have these kind of companies. But these are often the kinds of places where we find unreached people groups. I would imagine, practically speaking, it's challenging to learn the local language when you go this route. Some companies might provide some brief language learning options for employees, but in most cases, English is going to be very common in these types of settings. And when you're working 40 plus hours a week, it's hard to carve out time to learn language. 
Yes, I, I think that's accurate, Amy. So it isn't uncommon for relationships and ministries to be primarily focused on English-speaking coworkers and neighbors. I'm sure there are some exceptions to this, but I think that's very common. Okay, so let's talk about BAM or B for T. Okay, I'll, I'll just lump them together, though I know there are some distinctives between them. Again, this is another way to holistically integrate faith and work. As we know, God uses all kinds of people and professions for kingdom purposes. You don't have to be a quote-unquote full-time minister to have gospel impact. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about removing this whole sacred versus secular divide, but it would probably fill up the rest of this podcast. <laughs> yes, I think it would, so perhaps another day. So what are some other positives for this model? Whereas a, a tent maker is trying to leverage their individual relationships to have impact, BAM or B4T companies are trying to leverage the whole business to impact a community for Christ. So the location they select, the people they work among, the assignments they give to employees, theoretically, would all be strategically focused towards having a legitimate business and reaching a community for Christ. I can see how this shared vision and camaraderie would help spur on efforts to impact the community and to honor God with the business. So in your opinion, what are some challenges of this model? Well, if I had to sum it up, Amy, it would be it's hard to do it all. If you think about all the things you would need to invest in to do this successfully, it, it's quite a full load. And when you're going to minister cross-culturally, you have to invest a lot of time in language and cultural acquisition. Uh, sharing the gospel and planting churches also requires a lot of intentional intentionality and time. And of course, maintaining a business, especially if it's a startup, takes a lot of time and effort. So doing all three of those things well, especially at the same time, is not realistic for one person to manage. Yes, that makes sense. But couldn't these three priorities overlap? For example, as you're working on the business, you could minister to your coworkers and you could practice some language with them as well. Right. And I think that's the idea, on paper at least. But what a lot of people find is that there isn't quite as much overlap as they'd hope. Uh, my personal experience has been that most people can manage to invest well in two of these three areas at the same time, but it's hard to do three of them well at the same time. It's kind of like when one of my kids came to me recently and said, Dad, I learned how to juggle. And she had two balls and she was throwing them up and catching them. And I said, well, why don't you try three at the same time? And let's just say that was a little more difficult for her to manage. Oh, I would love to see your kids juggling. Yes, it was, it was very cute. But my point is, practically, most people have to put down or highly minimize one of these three balls. For example, language learning. Yes, you can practice a bit with your coworkers or learn a bit on the side, but to really make progress in a foreign language, you need a structured program and the ability to dedicate a significant portion of your time each week to this pursuit. Now, later, once you've made some progress, you could just stay fresh by practicing with your coworkers and neighbors, but initially, you need dedicated time for this. And it takes a lot longer than you'd think, you know, several years at least for most people. So what I found is that most people realized they could only juggle two of the balls that I described earlier. So either they didn't learn the language very well, or they had someone else who was doing the heavy lifting on the business while they focused on language learning. As you alluded to, couldn't you do these, thing, these things in phases? That is, when you first arrive, spending dedicated time in language learning and then later transitioning to the business. Yes, and that's ultimately what I landed on when I was recruiting people overseas. I would say for the first few years, you're going to be in full-time language, uh, you know, be a full-time language student, and of course, share your faith and minister to others. But you aren't going to worry about working for or starting a business right away. 
uh, if they had to work for a business initially for visa purposes, let's say, we would often give them very little responsibility initially so that they could invest heavily in language learning. Some people might do it differently, but practically that is what seemed to be best uh, to set people up for success in our context. Most people I saw that jumped right into full-time work at a business or even teaching right away, they tended to not make a lot of progress in language learning. And this really limited their ability to connect with people locally down the road. But aren't there English speakers all over the world that you could minister to if you didn't know the local language well? Sure. And depending on the part of the world, there may be more or less of that. But especially when we're talking about unreached areas of the world, English speakers tend to be a very small percentage of the population. So in my experience, thriving long term in these places requires some proficiency in the local language. And that's hard to achieve unless you carve out dedicated time. Okay. So let's move on to what we might call the fully funded missionary approach. What are some pros and cons of this model? Right. And just to be clear, most of the people I know who are doing BAM or B4T are still getting their salary either partially or fully through things like support raising or a missions agency. I think it's the minority of business as missions entities who are able to completely you know, financially be financially sustainable and pay all their employees from the proceeds of the business. But for the sake of distinguishing between these models, we'll evaluate them separately. Sounds good. So what are the pros and cons of the fully funded missionary approach, so to speak? Well, I think there are several layers to this. If we're talking about someone who is actually going out as a quote-unquote missionary with a missionary visa, etc., you're going to be somewhat limited to where you can go in the world. Now, there are certainly wonderful, legitimate opportunities like this, but in much of the unreached world, you can't come in as a missionary, as you know. Uh, so practically speaking, you need to have both a way to get a visa and an identity that makes sense in these places. In many places, this will require being a student, a teacher, an NGO worker, or working for a business. In a few places, you could be a perpetual tourist, but that doesn't work long-term in many places. And it can be tricky to have an identity that makes sense to the local people if that's kind of what you're doing. So what you are saying is that if you want to minister cross-culturally in many places in the world, you're going to have to do something vocationally, at least on paper. Yes, in many cases that's true. So I, I mean, I don't want to discount people who are actually going on missionary visas, but uh, for m most of the people that are kind of working in the area of the world that we focus on, they're still going to need to juggle this whole issue of the, the three balls we talked about earlier. And if you start out as a student, this helps you put aside the, the work ball for a little while. And you can just focus on learning the language and sharing your faith. So this can be a good model. And as I said earlier, this is the model that we used overseas. But this isn't available in all places. And if you're older, uh, you know, maybe it may not be an option or make much sense, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s. Uh, either way, in many places, sooner or later, you're going to have to think of a vocational platform, so to speak, uh, in which to be involved. So it sounds like we're really back to some of the dilemmas that those who take the BAM or B4T route must face. Yes, and as I said, there's a lot of overlap here. Most of the BAMers I've seen are still, as we, I said earlier, fully funded by donations coming from their home country and are involved with a missions agency. And there are good reasons for this. I mean, it allows them to have training and resources and oversight and many of the other tools that fully funded ministers have. Frankly, it's hard to just go out there on your own without this kind of support, in my opinion. So I sometimes hear people speaking as if the full-time ministry or support-raising method is somehow obsolete or even disingenuous, and I really don't think that's the case. 
But back to your original questions, yes, I think the main dilemma people run into is how much time and effort to put into these vocational endeavors. For some, they are just platforms, uh, so to speak, something that allows them to get a visa. For others, they must or they choose to put much of their time and energy into these vocational pursuits to try to minister through their work efforts. And I'm guessing there's pros and cons of this as well. Of course. We used to joke around about instead of tent making, tent faking, <laughs> you can certainly be in danger of being disingenuous if you aren't really doing what you say you're, you're doing there to do. Uh, on the other hand, though, intentional evangelism and church planning takes a lot of time and effort, particularly in a pioneering setting where you are crossing cultural barriers. And I've also seen a lot of people who are highly involved in vocational pursuits that weren't they, they weren't allowing them to have much opportunity to do these kinds of activities, and they found this frustrating. So if I can summarize what I'm hearing in all of this, there probably isn't one best option for people to go overseas with. Each one of these methods has pros and cons, limitations and opportunities, and a whole lot of things that you have to balance and juggle. Does that sound about right? Yes, I think that that's a very succinct summary. There isn't one best way, but I think there may be some best practices or important areas to think through. So if you don't mind me giving my opinion rather than just laying out pros and cons. Of course. I think the first thing you must think through, and you've heard me say this at several points in this podcast, is how you're going to learn the local language. Uh, that is where a lot of people get tripped up, and this is vital for thriving long-term in most places. It, it's hard to do this in your spare time, especially if you're starting from zero, you know, don't know any of the language. Find a method of serving that will allow you to either have a season of time solely dedicated to language learning, or that will allow you ample time to invest in language learning along with other voc vocational responsibilities. I'd recommend finding something where you can give at least 20 hours a week to focused, structured language learning, you know, classes, study, intentional practice out in the community for at least a, a few years, a couple years maybe. Uh, there are always exceptions that can work for some people, but in most circumstances and places, this is a best practice. Uh, I think beyond this, as you begin to transition into more vocational responsibilities, do what God calls you to do uh, to the best of your ability and to the glory of God. There are a number of avenues that can work, so don't get too tunnel visioned on one way being the only way or the best way. It's going to take all kinds of people to join God in reaching the nations. Amen. Well, Brad, we are just about out of time. I really look forward to continuing to think about the practicalities of serving overseas longer term. As do I. We'll see you next time. See you next time.